Welcome to KYH2O, a podcast about all things water in Kentucky. I'm Carmen Agaritas, an Extension Associate Professor in the Biosystems and Agricultural Engineering Department at the University of Kentucky. And I'm Amanda Gumbert, an Extension Specialist for Water Quality with the University of Kentucky Cooperative Extension Service. Join us as we get our feet wet exploring Kentucky's water resources. Hello and welcome to another episode of KYH2O. Today, we're going to talk about stream restoration. We are, and I got to spend some time with Eric DeWalt of Ridgewater out at the Coldstream Park restoration site. And Carmen, you've been out there a little bit, so you know where it is. But just for our listeners, um, the Coldstream Park is located in northwestern Fayette County, um, uh, really um, close to I-75 and Newtown Pike, and it um, is in the Cane Run watershed, and the Cane Run watershed flows um, from somewhere in downtown Lexington-ish um, out toward that area of Fayette County and then on over into Scott County. Um, and so that's where we were and we were talking about um, the project that Eric's been working on over there. And so this project Eric was working on, it's really close to the Legacy Trail, is that right? It's adjacent to the Legacy Trail and um, I remember some of the initial conversations about the restoration and there was a bit of debate among some of the stakeholders um, who had heard about the project really about how the public would perceive it as well as what was the true ecological benefit of doing a stream restoration there. So the restoration is actually considered a SEP an SEP, SEP, um, which is a Supplemental Environmental Project that's part of the consent decree that Lexington is involved in. So what is the consent decree? So I've heard that uh, talked about a little bit around Lexington. So maybe for the people listening, you can kind of explain what is exactly the consent decree and how the SEP plays into that consent decree. So kind of the nuts and bolts of the consent decree are that um, through Uh, years of monitoring, it was found that the water quality in Lexington streams um, was below what it should be. So it wasn't meeting its designated uses. And so over time, um, if this doesn't get fixed, if if the stream water quality doesn't improve, the federal government can, can, you know, come to the city, which they did, and they said, you're not doing a good job taking care of your streams. We basically are going to fine you for doing that and make you clean up your streams. And so as part of that consent decree, um, through some negotiations with um, with the court system, um, a, an agreement was come to that instead of paying this lump sum fine to the federal government, how about Lexington, how about you and your taxpayers use that money to improve an area of Lexington and of Fayette County. And so this all led to this SEP or this Supplemental Environmental Project to let's see some on the ground improvement of um, a watershed of a stream in Fayette County. And so that's what the restoration project is about. Amanda, you mentioned the SEP, and that was part of the consent decree and how to actually get something on the ground versus paying a fine. But how did Coldstream and the Cane Run project get selected as actually being the SEP project? Um, It's my understanding that part of that selection process was looking at um, an area of land that um, the city had some control over. 
um, you know, they knew they needed to put at least a million dollar project on the ground. So they went through the process of looking at their, you know, what land they had control or ownership of and places that would um, be acceptable to do some sort of on the ground restoration. I think Coldstream was um, the, the final choice, um, one, because they had access to it. The city, meaning the, the city of Lexington, um, Lexington Fayette Urban County Government, who is running the project, you know, they had access to the land. It also, because of its proximity to the Legacy Trail, provided an opportunity for the public to interact with not just a stream system, but a restoration project and utilize it as an, a means for public education. So well, I went out with Eric and uh, we were there in um, early December of 2017 and they, you know, Eric and his colleagues were wrapping up some of the construction work that they've been working on um, throughout the, the year in 2017. Um, and so let's listen to Eric kind of describe stream restoration and um, maybe, you know, what it all means to restore stream. Stream restoration is restoring streams back to a natural state where they have been degraded usually by us humans and putting them in a state where they have the functions and processes of a natural stream so cleaner water quality habitat for fish and aquatic organisms and aesthetic and social benefits such as people being to, able to interact with them safely and enjoy Eric talked about stream functions and processes. And so for some folks who are really interested in streams and water quality and maybe just science in general, that can be a pretty interesting topic. But you teach a lot of students about stream restoration. Um, what would you add to what Eric had to say about stream processes and, and what a function of a stream is? Yeah, I think, I think Eric did a really good job of hitting on this concept of stream functions. So for the longest time, when we thought about stream restoration, we thought about really restoring its form, the shape of the channel, so to speak. And immediately, a lot of people come to mind and they think, what do streams do? Well, they move water, but that's not the only thing they do. They're gonna move sediment, their habitat for things that live in the water, like uh, macroinvertebrates or salamanders, the, or even fish. They also provide a source of water to terrestrial animals, so things that live in the land. So streams have a lot of function, and as being next to the Legacy Trail, there are also societal functions that we use, you know, so we get value out of the aesthetics of the stream. Uh, some streams are used for transportation, some for drinking water. So there's lots and lots of functions. And what excited me about hearing Eric talk was he spent a lot of time talking about what functions the project was trying to enhance besides just moving water. How do I enhance water quality? How do I enhance habitat? We are starting to see and hear a little more about stream restoration um, in ecology. And um, among ecologists, they may debate whether or not you should restore something or what do you restore it to or, you know, what it actually means. But, um, you know, how do we know that a stream needs to be restored? That is a fantastic question because, as Eric mentions, uh, stream restoration is not it's not free as far as economic costs. So we have to pay for it and we have limited number of resources. So part of the challenge is figuring out which streams probably need our help the most. So some streams may have some sort of issues like maybe they don't have enough riparian vegetation or streamside vegetation to hold the banks in place. We might be able to fix that just by planting. 
where we don't actually have to have big equipment out there moving things around. So one of the things in trying to figure out if a stream needs restoration is we really kind of go out there and do a lot of assessing, assessing the shape of the stream. Does it erode a lot? What's the habitat quality like? And then once you do that point, you have to decide if that's a good investment for your economic resources, and that's what you want to go into. So the question of does a stream, how do we know if a stream needs to be restored? It's not as simple you go take a quick look and then we go away. Um, you have to really assess a lot of different things with regards to habitat quality, societal needs, economic benefits. Yes, you gotta figure out what you want the stream to be able to do. You know, it's like having a broken car. If the car's running great, there's no need to fix it. If it's broken, you take it to the mechanic and you fix the parts that are broken. And with that proximity of the Legacy Trail, um, if our listeners aren't familiar with that, the Legacy Trail is a multi-use trail um, that um, goes um, essentially from downtown Lexington all the way out to the Kentucky Horse Park on Ironworks Pike. And the Legacy Trail gets lots of usage. There are people out there all the time. I've been out a number of times, either at the UK Research Farm or at Coldstream Park. And, and every time I'm there, every time I'm there, there's someone running, biking, walking. Soccer game. Soccer game. Yeah, there's just lots of traffic out there. Um, so with that, a lot of folks get some interaction with nature. And you can almost kind of put that in air quotes if you're that type um, of what they perceive nature to be. And the, the trees that were along the stream adjacent to the Legacy Trail for the average citizen looks pretty much like nature out there. And so um, Eric and, and his uh, colleagues, I think, got a lot of interesting questions. So um, let's listen to what Eric has to say about some of the questions he got from passersby. So uh, this project was done by the Eco Grove Ridgewater team. Part of that team, and then our guys that are out here on site, and, and I'm on site a lot, and we get questions such as, a lot of people didn't know there was a stream here, which is kind of funny. We're 50 feet away from the stream here on the Legacy Trail, so I think that's the first thing they figure out is, wow, there's a stream here. And then the other question, obviously, is what are you doing? So we initially tell them we're building a Walmart, and then when they figure out that we're actually doing a stream restoration, you know, they have a lot more fun with it. But um, you know, why are you doing it is a big question. Um, some people saw the trees that had to be removed as something that needed to stay. They didn't understand that those trees were probably going to fall in the creek as it eroded anyway. So why are you removing the trees? That was a big question. Well, the answer was to put a stable stream back that then the trees that could be planted would be able to be there. Uh, we liken the analogy to uh, you got a house that's falling down, it doesn't matter what color the paint is if the house falls down. So we want to fix the house and then um, repaint it so that the paint stays on the house. I know I've lived through some house renovations. I would bet at some point in time in your life you've lived through house yeah. renovations. Yeah. <laughs> also, so you know that the like what Eric said, paint color of your house sometimes is, is the least of your worries when you're trying to fix the structural issues. But it's easy to visualize what the finished product is going to look like. And I personally always think about what the ending paint color is going to be and kind of what that feeling is of that new environment. Um, and, and so, you know, thinking about what that stream looked like before versus what it's looking like now, what are your thoughts on that? Well, the Cane Run, the section that goes through Coldstream, is really interesting because if you were to just 
be from the outside looking in. So if I was just going along the Legacy Trail and looking over to where the stream was at, I would see a lot of heavy, thick vegetation. So they did a reforest the bluegrass project out there. There's a lot of uh, trees out there and vegetation. But it really wasn't such that somebody on the Lexi Trail could easily walk off and actually see a stream was there. I've heard a number of comments from people that were actually surprised there was actually a stream located there. If you got a chance to actually walk into the stream and go there, you would see that there were a lot of steep banks that were eroding, which is a part of the reason they tried the reforce the bluegrass. But Eric, um, as we will listen to in just a moment, makes some excellent points that structurally the stream was kind of like your house that was in disrepair and had those serious issues. Just putting vegetation was kind of like that paint. It didn't exactly do what we need to do. So if we're actually going to restore that stream and bring it back to a, what we consider a more stable or a longer lasting shape, you've got to get in and pull things back and it's going to look a little bit ugly in the beginning, but it'll look really nice in the end. So if the stream migrates and it's in a state of dynamic equilibrium, it'll move back and forth a little bit. Um, where it has extra sediment, and uh, we don't want it getting outside of the sideboards that we give it. And then we also don't want it to degrade vertically, which would be erosion, and go down and cut, which would cause more erosion. So we put grade control in, um, in the form of rock, and that grade control is in the stream, but it also extends across the entire flood plain. So we've got these things called ribs, which are just rock ribs we call the grade control, valley grade controls that extend across the floodplain every couple of hundred feet to keep the stream from downcutting and bypassing the channel that we built. So one of the terms he used that you just mentioned was dynamic equilibrium. So think about the term dynamic. So dynamic means moving. It's not just stable but it, or static in one place. It's actually going to be moving. And then equilibrium is like a, it's a balance. So if we think about a scale and it has a weight on one end and a weight on the other, it's going to kind of balance. So if we think about our stream, dynamic equilibrium means it's going to move, but in a way that it's not going to change its overall shape. So I'm not going to erode a whole lot where I'm going to downcut, get really wide. I'm not also going to do what we call a grade where I'm going to really, really fill in with sediment. But I also can wiggle back and forth across what we consider our valley, the plane on which the stream can move. One of the challenges that Eric talks about in here in urban environments is we have so many things like roads, bridges, um, stormwater systems, infrastructure, we don't really want that stream to move back and forth across. So when you restore in an urban environment, the idea of dynamic equilibrium is still very valid, but we just don't want that stream to move too much. We actually exercise a little bit more control onto the stream, which is when he talks a lot about putting in a lot of rock in the valley, these concepts of ribs, it's really meant to let the stream move a little bit, but not too much so that it compromises things like the legacy drill. So really in urban environments, we are always much more concerned about that movement or that dynamic equilibrium, perhaps maybe more than we are in rural environments. Very possibly, and it just, it depends though, right? It depends. So if I could be in an agricultural environment and I have a field I'm using to plant crops, I may not be really happy if my field has some erosion away knowing that's part of the stream's uh, movement. When I think one of the misconceptions about streams is people think sometimes that they should never erode. There is a certain level of erosion that's okay because what will happen is a stream will erode say on the outside meander bend, like on the outside part of a curve upstream, but that actually transitions down to downstream. So streams will kind of wiggle back and forth. We just don't want it to do 
a whole lot or excessive amount, so then you get these really, really tall banks. Okay. So that's what maybe we experience um, if we think back to our you know childhood experiences of wading in, in creeks and you know the places where there are riffles and pools, all of that stuff really should have some dynamic equilibrium, I guess, of, of formation and, and changing and moving and that kind of thing. Yeah, and one of the really cool things, if you want to understand the concept of dynamic equilibrium a little bit better, is find a location as where a stream is at and go back and look at historical maps. And you can actually look at maps from, say, the 30s or the 50s or something like that and trace out where that stream is and overlay them. And you will actually see a lot of places where that stream has moved back and forth. And it may be a perfectly healthy, stable stream. I think what happens, though, is as we, as humans, we like to control things. And we certainly want to exert our control over, you know, things that maybe are going to affect our infrastructure or our own investments. And especially if you think about urban streams, we don't give those urban streams much room to wiggle. You know, a lot of times we think about, um, you know, in, in whatever that application is, you kind of give yourself a little wiggle room so it, nothing is perfect, nothing is, is finite. Um, but we do a pretty good job um, trying to control streams, I guess. And sometimes in Lexington, there are examples of actually putting a stream in a concrete channel. And that's, I guess, the ultimate um, effort to control it from wiggling on the landscape. I think part of it is our evolution as, as engineers or hydrologists, how we think and perceive streams. So if you look back, you know, 30, 40 plus years ago, our thoughts, even further back, our thoughts were to control the water. And really the, the purpose of a stream was to drain the land, move water out. And so the design was really built for that. So when you talk about concrete line channels, the thought was, I just need to move the water. I'm putting the concrete in so it doesn't erode. It's a really hard surface for water to get rid of. As we've evolved over time and we've started to recognize the ecological importance of streams, how they're a part of nature as we are, we have shifted our design now to say we're not just going to move water, but we need to also bring back a lot of those functions that were lost, you know, habitat, water quality, aspects like that. So the field of stream restoration is one that is evolving and growing as we better understand the role of streams in our ecosystem. That helps. That helps with the explanation of, of that form function process, um, the, the engineer speak part of, of stream restoration. Um, well, this has given us a pretty good overview of the whole topic or the whole project. So um, let's take a walk down to the stream now, get a little closer and take a look and let Eric describe to us what he and I were looking at. Eric, there's no water in the creek. Yeah, where'd the water go? Where did the water go? So um, this is a, one of the most interesting projects we've ever had the opportunity to work on because the water disappears both through the project and upstream of the project down into the Royal Springs aquifer. And we are in a uh, karst setting. Uh, the limestone has lots of holes in it. We, uh, I use the analogy of we're sitting on top of Swiss cheese and it goes down the holes, whichever hole it comes to first, it'll go down that one and if the Swiss cheese fills up, that's when it'll run on top of it. So right now it hasn't rained really for a couple of weeks and the stream is dry. Um, very interesting system, but all this water comes out in Georgetown at the Royal Spring where they get their water for their water supply in Georgetown. So it's dry right now and it'll be dry mm, probably the majority of the year. 
Amanda, when you visited the creek with Eric, you talked about there not really being much water in that creek all the time. Why is that? Yeah, so the Cane Run Creek um, is is a karst system, and that, that word that we're using, that terminology, is K-A-R-S-T. Some folks get a little confused when they hear it. And I really like Eric's analogy to Swiss cheese because that's really, if you imagine a block of Swiss cheese, that's kind of what the, the underlying geology looks like. And I've walked lots of parts of the Cane Run Creek in different areas of the watershed, and um, if, if there hasn't been rain for a few weeks, most of the stream channel itself is dry. And so we often think in our minds, at least I do, I should say, when I imagine a stream, it's a, like a babbling brook. You know, it, it, you hear the water flowing and you imagine the rocks it's moving over. And when you get to especially this section of the Cane Run, it doesn't look that way at all. And most people would just say, well, that's just a ditch. You know, that's not really a stream because um, of the, the water not being on the surface. And so Eric described it, you know, as um, the, the underlying geology um, is karst geology, so predominantly limestone that's dissolved over time. And we have this um, really um, intricate interaction of the surface water with the groundwater. So when we do get a heavy rainfall event, we get a lot of runoff from um, the urban areas upstream in the headwater area of the watershed. And those flow um, into, the, into the watershed or into the stream. They fill up the aquifer, the Royal Spring Aquifer that Eric referred to. Um, and once that aquifer is filled, then we start to see consistent um, surface flow of the stream. And then as that water recedes, um, you start to see just, you know, variation. Um, you may see a stretch of stream where there's water flowing on the surface, then it disappears, then, you know, 20 feet later, it pops back up. And so that's just the nature of karst. Um, we also have these things in the main channel of, this, of the cane run. Um, they're called swallets, and those are just open sinkholes. I mean, literally, you can step into them, fall into them, jump into them. And there's a really pronounced one that I've taken a photograph of in, in the horse park, in the Kentucky Horse Park, that is an amazing thing to see when you are standing near this hole in the ground. Um, in the channel of the stream and the water's flowing down through the creek and you can hear it going under your feet You can feel the vibration of it going underwater underground And it's really just an amazing environment So even if we don't have water in the creek if we don't have it in the cane run the fact that there's so many Swallets connecting it to the groundwater doesn't mean that the water quality is less important in that stream It might actually be more Absolutely, because that Royal Springs surfaces in Georgetown, Kentucky, downtown Georgetown on Water Street, um, which I think is aptly named, and it um, the municipal water company there in Georgetown uses that as part of the drinking water for the citizens of Georgetown. So it's real important if you live in Georgetown. One of the most critical parts of stream restoration is really floodplain access. Let's listen to what Eric says about how they gave Cane Run floodplain access. We have taken out a lot of the soil in the floodplain and, and enabled it to uh, spread out safely without eroding, but also without causing additional flooding. And that Amanda, when you're out at the Cane Run, I've been out there recently to look at the project, and there's really not a lot of vegetation on the ground right now. Yeah, there's not. It, it, it looks a little rough out there. So what's it going to look like, say, in the springtime or the summertime? What are they going to plant out there? 
Eric and I were out on the site in early December, so we really didn't anticipate there to be a lot of vegetation. Um, maybe some, some plants that were dormant, but it did look pretty barren. So Eric's got a few things to tell us about their vegetation plans uh, for spring of 2018. So uh, to use the analogy that uh, everybody likes stream restoration, but they don't like it when it's being made, it's kind of like making sausage. Everybody likes the final product, but nobody wants to see it being made. So right now we're in the process of making this stream. We're restoring this stream. So we take it and we blow it up and then we put it back together and that's what we're in the process of doing. So it's been planted just barely. We just finished uh, the stream a couple of weeks ago and we've planted it with a temporary cover crop of uh, rye, cereal rye, so it can be stable during the winter. Uh, we still have some bare spots where the seed hasn't come up yet. Um, the rock is not going to move, but um, the vegetation it still needs to get established, um, but the long-term plan is to plant all this with trees. And we're going to be planting trees in the spring. So there will be bare root trees of half dozen species of riparian trees that like to be near streams. And then this will grow into a forest is the long-term goal. Amanda, Eric spent some time talking about planting bare root trees and other things like that. But this is Cane Run Creek. Are there any plans to put native cane on the banks? Well, there is actually cane in the cane run, um, and um, an, an interesting story is when I was a student, an undergraduate still, one of my first jobs in Lexington dealing with streams and, and soil projects um, was helping plant some of the cane that's out there. So um, there's a, a local botanist, Julian Campbell, um, who has a real passion for restoring cane, especially in the cane run. And I worked for Julian for part of the summer and part of my job was to go help plant and, and babysit the cane as it you know, became mature and, and got a, a good foothold. And that cane is migrating through the project. Um, cane sometimes takes a while to, to get going when you transplant it. Um, but once a cane break establishes, it can be pretty vigorous. And so I'm pretty excited about the cane that's out there and the, the possibility that that cane will expand. Um, cane's got an amazing root system and it, um, you know, that's kind of how it propagates itself um, is by sending out rhizomes and, and um, one, it, again, like I said, it, it takes a while for it to get going, but once it goes, it really, it really goes. And um, so it's just exciting to see that on the cane run. People not familiar with cane, it looks a little bit like bamboo, doesn't it? It does. It looks a lot like bamboo. I guess it's, some people might call it a native bamboo. Um, it's got a, a much um, smaller stem. I've seen some of the um, Asian bamboos that can be really big and have a really, um, really big diameter of the plant and get really, like giant cane can get super tall. Think of movies, I think, of this um, all magical looking cane in it. And our cane breaks in Kentucky are a little different than that. They don't get that tall, the plants don't get that tall, but they are very dense and almost like a thicket, I guess, they form. And the the benefit that cane can give to a, a creek 
is that dense root system that can hold the soil in place and also lots and lots of stems that can help to slow runoff water um, as it moves across the surface of the land toward the stream, can slow that water down, help increase infiltration rates. Um, it can help uptake nutrients that might be in that runoff water um, and add carbon to the soil there on the stream bank. So um, I get pretty excited about stream vegetation. Um, the trees, of course, will provide shading to the stream. The cane itself won't get tall enough really to give shade, but um, I just envision a really nice balanced um, ecosystem in terms of the vegetation over time, and um, I think it'll be fun to watch as those plants mature. Well, in this episode, we learned a lot about the Cane Run Stream Restoration Project and why it was done. In our next episode, we're going to spend some time learning about why we even do stream restoration and what really are those benefits. <music> You've been listening to Carmen Agaritas and Amanda Gumbert. Learn more about water at uky.edu forward slash BAE forward slash KYH2O. Subscribe to hear all episodes of KYH2O.